0: Well, family, I had some opening remarks I was going to start with. Uh, I think I'll just kind of skip over, and we'll jump in. But suffice it to say, uh, for now, that there are things in this life, things in this world that want to, uh, and I'm not sure what's going on there, that want to poison and pollute your relationship with God. There are things that want to devastate and can destroy your relationship with God. And John has been warning us, if you will, of the dangers and deceptions that can be found in this world. And so, with that, let's turn. Turn our attention to uh, verse 18... Of chapter two. Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many, many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. And they went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. Family, it's incredible to me how many vital themes that John. Threads throughout, and the topics that he touches upon in this otherwise brief letter. And I suppose the first thing that pops out at us in this section is this phrase it is the last. Hour now, uh, as you read through the various observations and interpretations of various commentaries or commentators, and some taters are more common than others, you understand. uh, But different people have different ways of handling these five words, and some will point to the fact that scripturally the last days began when Christ came to the earth the first time, and they don't really conclude until He comes the second time. Uh, As the author of Hebrews writes, "God, who at various times and in various Various ways spoken time past to the fathers by the prophets, notice, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. Guys, the days of Adam weren't the last, they were the first. The days of Moses and David and the prophets, they weren't the last, they all pointed to, they would culminate in Christ, it's his days that mark the beginning, if you will, of the end. Others see this phrase, the last hour, as a theologically kind of technical term that denotes a period of time, could be long, could be short, but that ushers in the termination of all time and the revelation. Of the final salvation promised by God Uh, Others see it as a kind of time Rather than a duration of time As in the uh, characteristics descriptive of the last days As spoken of in 1st Timothy chapter 4 You know being on the uprise and increase Both in the metrics of sheer volume and then intensity as well and I suppose that in some measure, all of the above could be equally true. But let me just say this. God, it seems to me, has planted deep within the heart of every believer since the time of Christ forward, a constant expectation and unrelenting anticipation of the soon return of Jesus Christ, uh, this looming I would say uncertain certainty <laughs> that the Lord could return at any moment. Uh, meaning that I'm not certain if it'll be today or tomorrow, or next year. I don't know when exactly, but I do know with this absolute certainty that Jesus is coming soon. And God has instilled this in the hearts of his people. When Jesus spoke to his disciples of his return, he spoke with this kind of resounding certainty, but he surrounded the event with an intentional ambiguity. He said, but of that day, In regard to his return, uh, an hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch, and pray, for you do not know when the time is. So with regard to the what, yes, the fact that he's coming again. Uh, he was resolute. I'm coming. It's going to happen. As for the win, he said, no one knows. And that's just how the father would have it to be. Now, He did, Jesus did uh, throughout the course of his ministry, consent to the fact that there would be signs, uh, times and seasons, aka we might call them spiritual nuances or prophetic indicators that we would do well to recognize that should alert us to realize that his coming is close at hand, that he's at the very door, so to speak, that he stands on the edge of his return kind of a thing. In fact, he rebuked the religious leaders of his day because their, let's just call it messianic radar was out of sync with scripture. He said, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be foul weather, today for the sky is red and threatening. He said, hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. And so Jesus would have us to be aware of what's happening around us, what it means to us, prophetically speaking, that we might be prepared for his appearing, But as I mentioned, I believe that God orchestrated this ambiguity, yet certain expectancy by design, because it renders helpful results in our lives. And number one, it it creates, it kind of stirs within us a sense of urgency, urgency. The fact we realize, you see, that time is short and we need to get this message out to as many people as possible that they might be saved. You see, God knows that given the opportunity, you and me, come on now, we prefer to be lazy, Uh, We prefer to procrastinate, uh, to put things off to the last possible second. God knows that if we truly believe there was plenty of time before the Lord's return, most of our hearts would be filled with apathy rather than urgency regarding getting this message into the hearts and hearing of others. Also, as for now... This anticipation, this realization that Jesus could return at any moment, well, it encourages a purity in our hearts. So, number one, it stirs an urgency in our hearts. Number two, it kind of helps to create a purity in our hearts and in our lives. For example, how many of you want to be found drunk or perusing pornography when the Lord returns? Uh, You want to be caught in some kind of sin, As he makes his way to the earth again or to catch you up in the air, you know So in realizing that Jesus could return at any moment it purifies my life I want to stay as far away uh, From that kind of stuff as I possibly can I don't want to be caught in some kind of sin when my Lord returns But if I thought that Jesus wasn't coming anytime soon Well, you know, I might be a little more prone to dabble in the otherwise dangerous. Do me a favor. Leave your finger here in 1 John. Let's go together to the left in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, and let's look at the 24th chapter. Uh, Matthew chapter 24. Just go ahead. We'll wait on you. Matthew chapter 24. And I want to draw your attention... Beginning toward the end of the chapter, let's look at verse 45, okay? This is Jesus speaking, and he says, Who then is a faithful and wise servant, which would be the opposite of what? An unfaithful and foolish servant, whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season, Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. Look at verse 48. Underline this man make note of it circle it do something with it But if that evil servant says in his heart my master is delaying his coming And begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards The master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him And at an hour he is not aware of and will cut him in two and appoint him his Portion with the hypocrites, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, I trust that you're able to see the danger in defaulting to this position in your heart. My master delays his coming. Oh, he's not coming anytime soon. I got plenty. We talk about this on the occasion, don't we? That the biggest deception of the enemy isn't that there's no heaven, it isn't that there's no hell, it's that there's no hurry. I've got plenty of. Of time. It aids in relaxing our conviction. It kind of coaxes us into compromise. And Jesus said, That's when you will get caught with your hand in the cookie jar. And if you want to, you can play, but there's a price attached to that and you will pay. And there just are no exceptions. Now, having said all of that, I personally truly believe that the return of Jesus Christ is incredibly close has God instilled this sense of urgency urgency to create this purity and all of these things in our lives intentionally absolutely but do I really believe yes I truly believe that his return is, listen, at no other time in world history has the global climate been so ripe, so in line with what the Bible describes as the conditions in the world, the conditions of the world, just prior to the Lord's return. And if you want You can write it down and refresh your heart and memory later. You can go ahead and and read all of that section there in Matthew chapter 24. Jesus talks about what the world would look like at his return there. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, the first few verses there. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and about the first nine verses in that chapter all kind of capture this context of what life will be like on planet earth just prior to the lord's return guys not to mention you understand if you don't i would encourage you to from this point forward that there is no prophecy yet unfulfilled that would hinder jesus from returning for his church and i suppose the lord could put it off however long he deems appropriate But I just want you to be assured of one thing, and that is he would have to recreate global conditions as they are today. Because I'm telling you, the stage is set prophetically for the rapture of the church. Politically, economically, the global community is ripe for the revelation of the Antichrist, the great tribulation upon the earth, the return of Jesus Christ to establish his rule and his reign for a thousand years, to which we say, even so, come Lord Jesus. That's a good place for an amen. Amen. (laughs) And so the question kind of presents itself. Why then hasn't he come? Well, two words. I'll give you three, but I trust you'll see what I mean. Grace and mercy. Quick question. How many of you would have missed the boat had the Lord raptured the church, say, 10 years ago? Maybe two years ago. 15, 25 years ago. Guys, God's not slack concerning His promises. Some count slackness, but He's long-suffering. He is patient toward us, not being willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He holds the door open. Think of the days of Noah, right? And He's holding the door open as long as He possibly can, but the day will come when the door will be closed and judgment will fall. Don't be deceived, ladies and gentlemen. If the Bible spoke with resolute, unyielding accuracy concerning the first coming of Jesus, well, then what makes us think it would be any less accurate concerning the prophecies of the second coming of Jesus? And if John considered his time as the last hour, then family, brothers, sisters, we should regard our time as the last few minutes. And there is a real sense. Think about it this way. There is a real sense in which even if the Lord doesn't return for his church, let's say another hundred years, can I just tell you that your days and my days are numbered? What I'm trying to say is it's our last days, regardless of the overwhelming prophetic scheme of things. I'm just telling you, you're living in your last days. And as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come by which we know, John says, that it is the last hour. So what's happening? John is calling to the center stage this nefarious, this infamous individual who has captured the imaginations of people all over the world, including many who don't even know the Bible. And honestly, if you were to ask me, I'd tell you that not most people don't know too much about this person, whom John refers to as the Antichrist, outside of perhaps what they've learned in movies or something. And uh, by the way, here's an interesting kind of uh, fun fact. This term, uh, Antichrist is used only by John in Scripture. John's the only one that uses this term, uh, yet, and I think he only uses it like four times, maybe five in four verses, or four in five verses. I probably should have confirmed that, but it's one of the two uh, in his letters here, and yet it's become the single most definitive title for this man. And I assume, my, my guess would be because it sounds so ominous, you know, the Antichrist. But people think of this man, and this image is conjured up in their minds of this pure evil yes i mean he has this secret room in his house where he sits in the middle of a pentagram in the lotus position and he has candles that he lights on each point of the star and all he thinks about is is how he can serve satan's evil agenda and how he can lead as many people to hell as possible and and you know if you were to pull the hair back maybe away from his forehead or off the side of his ears on there you would see 666 you know etched into his skin I mean, he's, he's the Antichrist, you know. The opposite Jesus. Jesus is love, uh, he is evil. Jesus is truth, he is deception. He's Antichrist. And this is how most people think when they envision the Antichrist. But we need to understand something about this prefix anti in the original Greek language in which the New Testament was written. Though it can mean opposite of, it can also mean instead of. So yes, the Antichrist will ultimately be the opposite of Jesus, but initially you should think of him as the instead of Jesus. People tend to fixate on the opposite of Jesus. And so they think, again, he's going to appear as this supremely evil person. Jesus went about doing good. He'll go about doing bad. The character and personality of Jesus is beautiful and attractive. The uh, personality of the Antichrist is, is ugly and repulsive. But you should know... That this emphasizes this concept, this idea of the opposite of Jesus, too much. He's not gonna come storming onto the scene as this personification of evil. People will love this man. He'll look wonderful. He'll be charming, successful. He'll be a political, social, economic winner. He'll present himself, if you'll allow the term, as an angel of light, and the world will hail him as the Messiah. Guys, if he was in the old spaghetti Western, he'd be the cowboy wearing the white hat, not the one wearing the black hat. He'll look like the good guy. And he'll lead the world into a golden age until he reveals his true colors and the judgment of God is poured out full fury upon him and his empire just prior to the return of Jesus. And people often have this question, well, do you think he's alive today? You know, this Antichrist, this, uh, you know, I think Daniel calls him the willful king, the the little horn with the big mouth, so to speak, who boasts great things. Uh, uh, Jesus called him the man who comes in his own name. Uh, Paul referred to him as the man of sin, the son of perdition. I'm telling you, he's got all kinds of names. Well, is he alive uh, today? Well, you know, I can't be sure. I tend to believe he is. As I said, the world is primed and ready for the rapture of the church, and those of you... Prophetic students or students of prophecy You know that the first order of prophetic business After the rapture of the church Is the revelation of the antichrist Now The other question people have is, is Does he know he's the antichrist Well, You know again I can't be certain My, my guess I'm going to say my guess Would be probably not uh, I would guess that he's simply A successful man consumed with a vision who wants to change the world for good. I mean, think about it. Guys, the book of Revelation gives us the number of his name, right? And, and his number was the number of a man, and the number is what? We already brought it up, right? 666. 666 is the number of the beast. That's another name that uh, the Bible calls him by, is the beast, the Antichrist, the man of sin, the son of perdition, the willful king, whatever, Guys, there's only one other person. Oh, man, maybe I'll throw this out as a test. Only one other man in Scripture who's mentioned in connection with the number 666. And the man, top 10 answers on the board, survey says, anybody know? Who says? Someone said it right over here. King Solomon. Um, Now... I don't know if that's telling or not, and all the connection really is is that Solomon was paid uh, in gold annually, uh, tribute, 666 talents worth of gold that he would be annually rendered. Now, I don't know if this is telling or not, but I will tell you that if you study the life of Solomon, if you learn nothing else, you'll learn that his is the sad story of a good man gone bad. And this could be the story of the Antichrist. Right now, perhaps he's simply a successful young man in business, maybe moving his way up, navigating the waters of of, uh, politics and kind of moving his way up the rungs of that ladder. But I don't think that time is too far away from his revealing, which means you and I need to be ready to meet the Lord in the air, amen? Okay. We've probably lingered here long enough. Uh, John makes a distinction for us here. We need to pay attention to it. He makes mention of a particular individual whom he refers to as the Antichrist. And I know that the article's not there in the original Greek, but according to the context, you can tell this is what he's talking about. The Antichrist of the the big A, uh, this man who will lead the world in a final end times rebellion against God. But then he also refers to many Antichrist, little a, who've already come. In other words, though there will be an ultimate fulfillment with a single individual, there are many foreshadowings or little previews, if you will, along the way that lead up to and culminate in this point. Or to say it another way, there is a spirit of Antichrist in the world. Does this make sense to you? Providing other variations, other pathways that lead to salvation instead of Jesus. This is the spirit of Antichrist. And John says that this is one of the indicators by which we know that it is the last hour. These other gospels, which aren't gospels at all, springing up, false teachings, other options that exclude Jesus, their anti. Christ guys there is a reason that that they've taken the Bible out of the schools that some schools in California now are uh, beginning to initiate or uh, going to have very soon if not already an after school Satan club uh, that in which they meet uh, that they uh, kind of uh, try to well you know what they try to do but they're they're covering of well we we don't can you know how do you say uh, uh, oh what's the word I'm looking for basically just non-religious type of a thing, which Satanism is a religion, but, you know, whatever. But there's a reason that uh, you can speak openly of any number of Eastern religions and Hinduism and Islam and all of these different things in public schools, but you bring up Jesus, and ladies and gentlemen, you got a problem. Why is that? Well, it's because the spirit of Antichrist is in the world. Uh, but that shouldn't discourage or dishearten you. It should encourage you being a sign that the return of Jesus Christ is imminent. And, and Jesus or pardon me, John says, even now, many Antichrists have come by which we know it is the last hour Now look at verse 19. He says, they went out from us, they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. So where do these quote unquote antichrists come from? Well, John says many of them at one time identified themselves with the Christian community. But the fact that they left the assembly demonstrates that though they were with us, they were never truly of us or else they would have remained with us. Guys, think Acts chapter 15. Just a quick illustration example if you need one. There they are, Paul and Barnabas, and they're, they're before the Jerusalem council. And they had been contending. There was a great contention that arose up between them and another group of men who claimed, you guys, believe in Jesus. That's good. We need Jesus. They had no problem with that. But if you want to be saved, you've got to be circumcised. And Paul said, no. No. We're saved by grace through faith alone, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works. There's no amount of anything we can do in the flesh that's going to uh, render salvation, you see. It's, it's not of works, lest anyone should boast. And the others were like, no, you've got to keep the law of Moses. Jesus is good, but you've got to keep the law of Moses. And it became a big deal. And the short story is that Paul was right, and the council made that clear. Well, what then do you think became of those who disagreed with them? They went out from them, even though they had been with them up to this point, but it was made apparent, it became apparent that they were never truly of them. Is this making sense? Family, one evidence of the life of Christ in a person is a desire to be with and around the people of God. In 1 John chapter 3, we'll read, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. Listen, when people share in the same divine nature, uh, when they're indwelt by the same Holy Spirit, they enjoy fellowship with one another. We like being together. Now, I'm not implying that going to church saves you. I'm not implying that remaining in a church keeps you saved. It's just one evidence that you truly are a believer in Jesus Christ. Now, let's talk about, real quick, what John is not saying. What John is not saying is that if someone leaves this church and then goes to another good church, well, then they aren't really... Of us. Okay, he's not talking about people coming out of one pocket of believers and into another pocket of solid believers. He's saying that if someone abandons the body of Christ altogether, then the odds are that they were never really part of the body of Christ to begin with. Are you with me on that? You know, and you can kind of see it happening. Perhaps there they are in the local assembly. Uh, There arises some kind of controversy. Someone responds saying, man, you know what? I'm sick of all this stuff, all this hypocrisy, and on and on they rant. I don't need this. I can follow God uh, in my own way. You don't have to go to church, whatever they say. And And they don't go to another good church. They don't try to plug in. They just leave the body of Christ completely. John says that person by all indications, was never truly a Christian to begin with. Now, I want to say, only God can know the heart with certainty. But it would appear that perhaps maybe they were trusting in the church. You see, I'm going to tell you something. If you're trusting in the church or you're trusting in me, it's not a matter of if, it's only when I'm going to disappoint you, let you down, disillusion you, right? And so, perhaps they were trusting in the church, maybe their own works, but not Jesus Christ, because what John is telling us is that if they trust in Jesus, listen to me, the common bond we share in him will be greater than whatever difficulty we, or whatever adversity that we need to overcome together, you see. Because Paul is clear, and we talk about this on the occasion, that God has given to us the ministry, not of isolation or separation, but what? Reconciliation. And this is the heart of the child of God, you see. Now, some people are so spiritual, and of course I say that tongue-in-cheek, so in tune, so in touch with God that they just can't seem to get along in any church with all the carnal Christians. You know, maybe you've met this guy or this gal, and uh, they're getting kicked out or leaving every assembly in a huff, and it's always someone else's fault. And they've determined, or often they determine, it's just better to not even be in a church, because if the truth were to be told, no one else is really on their level. Uh, They may not say that specifically, but in reality, that's kind of the way that they are explaining the situation. Uh, Listen, be careful of that one. If you love Jesus Christ, you're going to want to be around the body of Christ. At the same time, a healthy body will purge toxins, won't it? I guess what I'm saying is that our assembly, Calvary Chapel of Joplin, should be so inviting, so warm with the love of Jesus that truly anyone, regardless of how sinful they may be, how many of you met this guy, this gal, you invite them to church and they're like, oh man, I can't come to your church. The roof would fall in. The walls would fall in. I'd get struck with lightning, whatever. They all have some kind of thing that they want to say. And you just want to say, hey, you know what? Come on out. You're not going to get struck with lightning. The roof's not going to fall in, my my friend. You're going to be loved. You're going to be welcomed. Yet our desire to honor God and our study of His Word should be so square on the head, as my friend Justin Alfred would say, brother you want to hit the nail on the epicenter you know Uh, our desire to study God's word and apply God's word and to show ourselves approved unto God workmen and women that need not be ashamed rightly dividing his truth should be so square so serious that if someone doesn't desire to do the same they just can't stay too long You know, they either got to get right with Jesus or find somewhere else to be because they can't play that game of trying to look like a Christian, but having no true desire to be a Christian here. They'll go out from us and it'll be made manifest that they were never truly of us. Does this make sense? All right. Now look at verse 20. But you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. And whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. And he who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Okay, few things here briefly before we begin to move to our close. Back in verse 20. I want you to realize this. There's a more accurate reading that would be rendered. Some of your Bibles may read this way. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. Full stop. Rather than you know all things. Now, I've met some of those believers who know all things. Perhaps you have as well. They can be very difficult to get along with. Uh. But what John is saying here is that Jesus Christ has given them the Holy Spirit, the anointing, which I want you to see is the common property, if you'll allow me that term, of every believer, of all believers. And the Holy Spirit makes known to them that what John is sharing with them is true. He's like, I'm telling you this, you know it's true. This is what he's saying. It's resonating in you. It's bearing witness with you. That's why he follows up by saying, I've not written to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it. The Holy Spirit in your life makes it possible, you see, for you to discern the truth from the lie. Uh, To the Corinthians, uh, Paul said it like this. He said, these things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. Notice, comparing spiritual things with spiritual, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. It is the Holy Spirit that in Ables a person to discern, to know spiritual truth. Are you with me here? And let me say this. When the New Testament speaks of the anointing, guys, it's never referencing some special class of Christian that's been given a certain almost magical Something that very few others ever receive. And man, you can tell when the anointing comes upon them. Because they start talking a little stranger. Their inflections get a little more dynamic. And man, they may even do some weird things. And they may throw it like, you know, and some people will. And it's just important that we we say this. Uh, because this is, the, the anointing is not something that someone catches you know, it's not spread like a virus. It's not contagious in that regard. It's not something someone comes under or catches from someone else or makes anyone act weird. Now, one may have a greater measure of gifting than another. Yeah, we acknowledge this. But if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in your life, and I'm just going to tell you, you have an anointing from God. Now, whether or not you are submitted or responsive to the anointing in your life, that may be another matter. But God has given it to you nonetheless. And so John is pointing out that just because these people used to run with the church, that doesn't make the lies that they're spreading okay. Well, yeah, I know this guy. And surely he He said, no, no lie is of the truth. You have an anointing. You know what I'm telling you. No lie is of the truth. No word that leads people astray from Jesus Christ and His role in our lives as our Savior, having led a sinless life as God come in the flesh, dying on the cross for the sins of the world, rising from the dead three days later. No word that would would, uh, seek to lead someone astray or away from that is to be received. It's to be rejected completely and totally. He says in verse 22, "...who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ." He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. And he says, whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either, and he who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Now, guys, we're going to wrap up, we're going to wind down, but I want you to see this here. To affirm Jesus Christ means more than simply saying that He is the Messiah. You should see the... How do you say, man? My words escape me. Kind of the I want maybe irrefutable, undeniable. Uh, you should see the connection that is inseparable between the son and the father. There it is. Okay, uh, it has to do this. This uh, affirming of Jesus Christ has to do with understanding. Uh, the relationship between Jesus, the Son, and God, the Father. And that to deny one is to deny the other. He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. The Father and the Son are integrally, essentially bound together. They are inseparable in this capacity. Remember, Jesus said, I and my Father are one, okay? Even as God, or the Father is God, even as the Father is God, so is the Son. They are one. Are you tracking with me? Jesus is fully God, even as the Father is God. Um, If Jesus was just an ordinary man, if he was just a good teacher, then his death on the cross doesn't mean nor accomplish much. But if he is the sinless eternal son of God in human flesh, eternal God, uh, uh, let me, I'm just going to re- rephrase that. If he's the eternal God in the flesh, yes, the son of God, but the Bible is clear in the book of Corinthians that it was God in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Are you with me on this? If he is the eternal God in human flesh, his sacrifice means everything and can atone for the sins of the world. This is, this is how critical all this is. Okay, uh, I'm going to care if you want to go. So here's the question. Who is Jesus? Everything hinges upon your answer to that question. Whether or not we're truly family, your eternal destiny. Guys, everything. You'll often hear people say something to the effect of, well, you know, we all worship the same God. I mean, you have one name for him, I have another name for him, but we're talking about the same person ultimately. We all worship the same God, you see. Listen, when someone tells you that, respond with this question. Say, well, then let me ask you this. Was your God perfectly revealed in the person of Jesus Christ? Because the Bible says, in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9, for in Him, in regard to Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. The author of Hebrews referred to Jesus as the express image of His, that is the Father's person. In other words, if you want to know what God the Father is really like, Study the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus revealed him in all of his grace and his love and his mercy and his righteousness and his holiness perfectly. If your God was not perfectly revealed in Jesus, we don't serve the same God. Some people have no problem with God, but they don't believe in Jesus doesn't work that way. To honor and receive one is to honor and receive the other. Their relationship is immutable. It's inseparable. The two are one. You can't worship God but leave out Jesus. And so let's bow our hearts, acknowledge and affirm Jesus Christ (laughs) as our Lord and our God. You know, I think about that sometimes. Jesus, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. That's a false statement, by the way. He did again and again. But nor did he ever deny the fact that he was God. You remember when Thomas, after the resurrection, when Thomas saw him and he fell down before him on his knees and he looked at him, Jesus said, Thomas, don't be unbelieving, but be believing. You know, look at the, the prints of the nails in my hands and my side and my feet, touch them, see, it's me. And Thomas fell down before him and he said, my Lord and my God. What did Jesus do? Did he go, whoa, 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 easy on the God thing, Thomas. That's not me. He didn't do that at all. He received the acknowledgement, the worship, the wonder of the revelation of who he is in truth. Lord, we're both blessed and blown away that you would become flesh and not only dwell among us, but lay your life down for us. And we just want to collectively, but individually from our hearts, confess you openly, unashamedly as our Lord and our God. And we worship you and praise you for you alone are worthy of all blessing and honor and power and glory forever and ever. Guys, as we're kind of sitting here with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I would just remind you that God, as I said, was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, You can be reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ. It's by grace that we're saved through faith. Not about what you do. It's about trusting in Him, what He's done for you. So why put it off another day? When the Bible says, today, if you'll hear His voice, don't harden your heart. Turn from your sin. Believe on Jesus. And be saved. Surely, time is short, guys. Jesus is coming soon. Ready your heart before Him. Surrender your heart to Him. Believe on Him. I don't know, maybe that already reflects and represents everyone who's here today, but maybe not. If you need to give your life to Jesus Christ, man, if you need a new beginning and you need to be a new creation, you need old things to pass away, you need a clean slate, well, I'm not talking about renewing your relationship with God. I'm talking about repenting and beginning a relationship with God. If that's you, I want to pray for you. I don't care how old you are, young you are, where you've been or what you've done. I just want to give a moment to you to say yes to Jesus Christ. Not the church, not religion. Yes to Jesus Christ. For the very first time, truly, honestly, in your life. Is that you? Let me pray for you. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if that's you. And if I see it, I'll say it and you can put it down. But I just want to give you a second. You go, you know what, man? I'm not playing games anymore. It's time to get right with God. Anyone I can pray for? Okay. Well, Father, we're just so uh, taken aback by your love and your mercy. And it's our prayer today, Lord, that you would renew and refresh our hearts in you. God, we're so... Prone to wander. So easily distracted. So easily pulled off course. To our own shame. Forgive us Lord. And I pray God that you would center us again. That we might keep our eyes fixated on you that our lives might bring glory to you. Pour your spirit out upon us, God. Strengthen your church that we might glorify your name. And we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't we stand to our feet? guys may the Lord bless you and and, uh, be with you as is our common kind of closing remarks may he pour his spirit out upon you and may he lift up his countenance upon you causing his face to shine upon you may he give you his peace